I saw online this week a list of the 22 saddest Christmas songs of all time. So we're going to start off with a little quiz. Uh, I'm going to recite some lyrics, and you're going to see if you can tell me the name of the song, and you get bonus points if you can also name the singer. All right, you ready? Everybody good? All right. I may or may not sing some of these. <laughs> it is Christmas. Um, the first one, I went back and asked him about. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day, you gave it away. Anybody? Wham. Wham, thank you. George Michael. George Michael, Wham. Name the song? Last Christmas. Last Christmas. All right, very good. All right, coming in at number 20. I'm not going through all 22, don't worry. Coming in at number 20, Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas. And, singer? Originally. Or the one on this list. <laughs> ben Crosby. Okay. Uh, all right, this one nobody's going to get. Lost my favorite reindeer in a hurricane. <laughs> Got soaking wet on account of rain, counting my troubles by threes and two, twos, even Santa Claus gets the blues. Number 18. Who's into a fox brother? That's close. Isn't that country is genre? Marty Stewart, even Santa gets the blues. I don't know that one. Number 16. Christmas night, another fight, tears we cry, flood. Got all kinds of poison and poison in my blood. No, it's called Christmas Lights. Anybody? It's by Coldplay. What? <laughs> yeah, it's not one of their more well-known songs. Uh, coming in at number 14, I'll just give you the title, Another Lonely Christmas by Prince. Everybody has a bad Christmas song that you don't know about. Coming in at number 13, and when those blue snowflakes start falling, Elvis, Elvis Presley, blue Christmas. Yes, yes, very true. And number five, uh, I didn't know this. There was a song several years ago in which they played Silent Night in the background and read headlines like horrible headlines from the evening news for two minutes straight. Yes, that was my. There's lots of Simon and Garfunkel did this. All right, and that was only at number five. So those, those are those are like the twenty-something saddest Christmas songs of all time. Some of those are kind of funny. Uh, some of those are a little weird. Um, maybe some of those cut a little bit too close to home for us, because um, in the midst of all the lights and the celebration and all the happiness. When everything is screaming, be happy, be happy, be happy, someone's don't feel that happy. Like we know we should because it's Christmas, but there's just this blueness about our lives. Uh, for, for some of us, we may get excited about Christmas because it is that magical time of year, but then we're sort of dreading Christmas night when we know the magic's going to wear off and we have to go back to our lives, which are going to be the same after Christmas as they were before Christmas. And so what I want to do this morning is to acknowledge the, the blueness of Christmas. To acknowledge the blueness of Christmas. And I think it's important for us to do because for a lot of us, it's not just at Christmas that we feel this, but it's throughout the year as well. 
And we know in our heads that Christmas is supposed to bring us all this joy. And that if we're Christians, that Christianity is supposed to like it's supposed to make us happy, right? But for some reason it just doesn't seem to be working out for us. So I want to acknowledge that reality. We're not just gonna sing sad Christmas songs, don't worry. And we're gonna acknowledge that reality and then talk about how we can find some joy in the midst of the blueness. So let's read Isaiah uh, chapter 49. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. This is God's word. <clears throat> Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to bring back the reserve of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who is chosen. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. Saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and those from the land of Sin. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, in the sea. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before you. Let's pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take these words written so many years ago, and that they would be, he would use them uh, to cause them to be life-giving to us. Uh, that we would see Jesus, the servant, in these verses. Uh, that we would find comfort and joy in him. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, what I want to lay out for us here from this text is the reason for joy. Well, we ought to have joy at Christmas uh, and throughout the years of believers. And then talk about, though, in the midst of that, having that reason for joy, we face the reality of darkness. 
And then I want to close by giving us a ray of light. Reason for joy, the reality of darkness, and a ray of light. We'll start with the reason for joy. Isaiah 49 is the second of four songs in the book of Isaiah that are known as the servant songs. Uh, these are songs about the servant who the New Testament identifies as actually being Jesus Christ. Uh, these passages were originally intended to bring comfort to God's people who found themselves in exile in Babylon. They had been forcibly removed from their own homes, from their own country, and displaced in this foreign nation. Uh, the reason they were hauled off to Babylon was because of their continued rejection of God, their continued sin. He had told them this would happen. They continued to forsake him. The Old Testament prophets made very clear to them that this was actually God's judgment on them, this exile in Babylon. Think for a minute, if I had come to you, or another Christian friend came to you, and we said, look, I love you, but the way you're living right now is, is not pleasing to God. You're, you're walking in disobedience. It's not the way he would have you live. You really need to, to quit whatever it is you may be doing. And you said to me or to somebody else, yeah, I, I know that, I understand that, and I know I really need work on that. And then we went on a period of time and nothing changed. You continued as you were going. And then finally the, the wheels kind of fall off and your life is just a mess. How would you how would you feel at that point? You might feel like, you know, has, has, has God just had it with me? Is God really going to forgive me again? Has God finally turned his back on me? Is, is there any hope that he would be interested in fixing this mess that I've gotten myself into this time? I think that's something of what the people of Israel might have been feeling in exile in Babylon. Has God really given up on us? Has God really finally abandoned us? And so these passages in this part of Isaiah are actually meant to encourage God's people who might be feeling that way. Uh, chapter 49 here, it starts off with the servant speaking in verses 1 through 3. And if you notice in verse 3, the servant's actually referred to as Israel. That's his name. But if you keep reading a little bit further, you'll see that the servant in verse 5 is actually someone who restores Israel. Uh, verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. So the servant is someone who restores Israel, but if you keep reading, you see that that task is too little for the servant. Like he's worthy of a bigger job than just restoring Israel. And so you get to verse 6, and it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so Isaiah here is talking about something much bigger than just Israel being brought back from exile in Babylon. God's salvation is actually going to go to the ends of the earth. And the servant is going to be the instrument of, of making this happen. Uh, listen to a couple of New Testament passages and how they pick up on this section of Isaiah. Luke 2, as you 
probably hear that have, have heard this read or read this here near Christmas, uh, where Simeon takes the infant Jesus into his arms and says in Luke 2 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples alike for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A life for a revelation to the Gentiles. I've seen the light. He's here. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts 13 uh, is preaching the word. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out loudly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I'd like to hear that, sir. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so what Isaiah is doing for us years before the coming of Christ is pointing us to the coming of Jesus Christ. He's pointing us to the gospel of the servant, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel going to the nations. Nations that the Bible said have lived in darkness. They don't need to live in darkness any longer. They don't have to live these lives that are cut off from knowledge of their maker. The good news of the gospel is going forth. We can know the one who made us. We can know there's a reason for all this. We can know there's a purpose to the world. We can know that there's hope that our sins can be forgiven. That we don't have to bear our own guilt and shame. We can know that there's hope for life beyond the grave. Because Jesus has come. The servant has come. And this light of the gospel is going to the nations. I was driving around one morning this week, and I don't know why, but a thought just kind of struck me. Well, what if Jesus had never come? What would December be like? I mean, think about that in our culture, even as, as somewhere secular as we are. Like this whole month, is, well, they would have to just cancel December, right? Because it's, it's all about Christmas now. And how different would that be, maybe? tree and no hymns and no decorations and it would just kind of be the, this cold dark month, right? Uh, but it's really much worse than that. If you think if, if Jesus had never come, what would the world be like? I mean, we would probably be living in the Hunger Games already. Right? We, we would be living in this post-apocalyptic world because Christianity has had that kind of impact, not just in the lives of individuals, but in the life of the world. It, it has had this influence of, of salts uh, preserving society. The gospel changes individuals, but the gospel actually changes entire cultures and nations as well. The gospel changes everything. This light to the nations, and it has been a light to the nations. It's, it's why we exist as a church. To proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that light of Jesus Christ here in Spartanburg. It's why different ones of us are involved in ministries like uh, the Carolina Pregnancy Center and uh, Mobile Mills and Prison Ministries and the Good News Clubs. Uh, it, it's why we took an offering uh, for Miracle Hill last Sunday night. It's why you employ uh, me and Keith. It's why you go to work and seek to do good jobs and 
to be salt and light there. It's why we pray for people who don't know Jesus Christ to know Him. It's why Bonnie and Mauricio are going to Bolivia to be a light for the gospel there. We've got good news. We've got light because Jesus has come. The servant has come and his atoning death brings salvation for the nations. We, we have a reason to be happy. We have a reason for, for great joy because we have this good news of the gospel. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know all that intellectually. You know you have a reason for joy. But maybe in your particular set of circumstances, that joy doesn't seem that great. Or maybe your darkness seems, the darkness seems more real. You get how the exiles feel. Look at verse 13 and 14. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult over earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. Or that can be like us singing Christmas carols. Everybody's excited and singing and yay for what God has done. But then verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. Maybe you're living in that. Like you hear verse 13. And everybody's singing verse 13. And you're even mouthing the words of verse 13. But how you really feel is verse 14. How you really feel is verse 14. The Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. Maybe it's because of a health issue that just won't go away. Maybe it's a, a, a child who seems to be getting further from God instead of closer to God. Maybe it's your relationship with your parents and you're just dreading going home for Christmas. Maybe it's family problems of, of one sort or the other. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you're just losing two more than you're winning. And it just doesn't seem like God's anywhere in the picture. Joy to the world. And you're thinking, yeah, that's great. I just wish that there were more joy for me in the midst of it. I just wish I believed that God was actually going to show up and make things better. And then to top it all off, it almost makes it worse when you are a Christian because you feel like I'm not supposed to feel this way. Like Christians aren't supposed to feel, I'm supposed to be joyful and happy and I feel guilty that I'm not rejoicing. I feel guilty because I feel disconnected from God. And I don't feel like I can be honest with anyone about the way that I actually feel. Because I'm supposed to be happy. I'm not supposed to feel like this as a Christian. Let me encourage you by saying that if you feel that way, you're actually in good company. You're actually in good company. There are plenty of Christians who have battled discouragement, Depression. Uh, I can remember especially painful stretch in my life where I just couldn't figure out what God was doing, and it was it was very dark. Uh, some of the great hymn writers we've mentioned before battled with depression. You can read Psalm 88 and some of the other inspired psalms in the Scripture, where where the writers of the Bible think about it. But the people who are writing the Scripture feel like God has abandoned them. You can even hear it here from the servants of this. Look at verse 4. 
But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vain. And doesn't that sort of foreshadow what Jesus would say from the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ knows what it's like. He understands what it's like to feel abandoned by God. So if, if, if you feel abandoned by God this morning, let me say to you, you're in good company. And that the, the one who really felt that more than any of us could ever think about feeling it sympathizes with you and your weaknesses and even now is interceding for you, praying for you in the midst of your discouragement. But let me encourage you one other way by offering what I think is the real ray of light in this passage. Look at verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion in the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands walls are continually before me. When God's people cry out, God, you've abandoned me, God's response is to say, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can a woman forget her nursing child? Now, ordinarily, the answer to that is no, of course not. Those of you who have been nursing mothers understand this, that physically you can't forget a nursing infant. That emotionally you can't forget a nursing infant. There may be times you want to forget, but you can't forget that nursing child. In 2008, Nebraska passed a law making it legal for you to abandon children that you just didn't feel like you were ready to be a parent, and you could abandon them, like drop them at designated safe places, drop them at the, the fire station or, or places like that. Uh, if you didn't feel up to taking care of this baby, there were no questions asked. Within two months, 36 kids had been dropped off. None of them were infants. 22 were over the age of 13. One dad dropped off his whole family of nine children. It's almost impossible. You can see even in that story, like it was so rare for a mother to abandon her nursing child. They abandon all sorts of other kids, but not her nursing child. And yet, we know that that happens too. Which is the reason they tried to put the law in, in the first place. They just didn't restrict the age enough. It is possible it does happen. But God says, even though a mother, even though that's crazy to think about it, hardly ever happens, it does happen. A mother does forget her nursing child sometimes. But I will not forget you. I will not forget you. My attachment to you is so strong. In fact, God says, I have engraven your name on my hand. I've engraven your name on my hand. Uh, in the ancient Near East, it was common for a slave to have the name of the master written or tattooed onto their hand. What almost never happened was for the master to have the name of the slave 
written on his hand. And yet this is what it says of God, that your name is written on his hand. In fact, it says something more than that. It says that your name is actually engraved on his hand. Engraved having the idea of taking a hammer or a chisel and a spike and engraving the name on the palm of his hand. In 2012, Adam Scott had a four-shot lead, golf fans. He had a four-shot lead with four holes to play in the British Open. All right, this should have been a, a done deal kind of thing. Not like having a 20-point lead with two minutes left in the game. Everybody thought it was a done deal. Everybody thought the championship was his. Even the guy who sketched his name, engraved his name on the medal he was going to get, thought it was a done deal. And so the camera people showed the guy working on the metal, putting Adam Scott's name on it. And then he started missing shot after shot after shot. He got to the 18th hole and he's in a situation where he had to make a putt just to force a playoff, just to get him to overtime as it is in golf. And he missed the putt. And the camera flashes back to the, to the guy working on the metal. He's erasing the guy's name. Because he wants him to be the champion. Do you feel like God's done that with you? Are you worried that he's going to do that with you? That he's going to erase your name? In the article that I was reading about the, the law in Nebraska, there was a, a mom who became a mother later in life, and she wrote, I hate being a mother to you. Every day is the same, and to think I won't be free of it until I am like 60, and then my life will be over. Is there some kind of emotion like that in, in your heart? Some sort of negative emotion that you know that it's there, and you can't seem to do anything about it, and you think because of this emotion, God certainly just thinks you're such a loser, that he's given up on me. That there's some sin that you've committed that you think God can't have any further use for me. Something you've done that, that hangs over your head that you can't get rid of. And you say, surely God has abandoned me. Maybe it's just that your situation feels so bleak that you're thinking God's gone and he's not going to come in and he's not going to fix this. Just, I, I blown it too badly this time. You need to know that he hasn't forgotten won't abandon you because he can't. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then your name is written on his nail-pierced hands. And he's not going to erase it. We all have idols. We talk about idols a lot. Things we have that are more dear to us than God. Food, power, respect, money, all sorts of things. And it's like we've written those names on the palm of our hands, like an ancient slave. These are, these are my masters. These are things that I'm holding on to. And one of the things that happens during the, the trials of life is that God's coming in and he's, he's scraping those, those things off the palms of our hands. And it can feel like he's killing us when that happens. It feels like He's abandoned us when that happens. But he can't abandon us. 
Because our names are written on his hands. Our names are written on his hands. Remember after the resurrection, the disciple who doubted with Thomas, and Jesus appears to him. And what did Jesus tell him? You know what Jesus told him? Look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look at my nail pierced hands. I hope you don't hear any of those boring, sad Christmas songs. Or maybe the Marty Stewart one. That would be kind of fun. I hope your Christmas is not filled with sad Christmas music. I, ho I, I hope you have a, a, a light-hearted, joyful Christmas. That you enjoy your eggnog, although not too much of it. Um, that Santa brings you whatever it is you've asked for for Christmas. But if you find yourself hurting again, or if you wake up on the day after Christmas with the same set of problems that you had before Christmas, and you don't see any possible way out, look at his hands. Look at his hands. He hasn't forgotten you because he can't forget you. He doesn't want to forget you. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, um, I do pray that we would all have great Christmases. But I know that the reality is that uh, a lot of us have things going on that, that will make for some very blue times over Christmas. So I pray that in the, the midst of that, we would see Jesus. That we would not think that you have abandoned us. That we would know that you love us because you have given Jesus for us and our names are written in his hands and it cannot be written. Thank you for that assurance. We pray that knowing that and believing that would be a source of great joy to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.